Did they have to convince you to take the part? or it was- No, didn't have to convince me at all. And, and he uh, went to Mel Brooks, whom, whom Gene Wilder knew very well, and got him involved in directing it. So it became sensational. How would you describe the character of the monster? A loving, tender, sweetheart of a guy, just misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And what was it like working with Mel? It was great fun because he's a, a, a person who, driven to be funny and succeeds constantly. He just talks funny, does funny, and uh, it was great to work with him. And you had considerable comedy chops yourself at that point. Did he make you funnier? It just, when, when you make a movie uh, and, and you have a, don't have an audience, you have to fill in where the laugh will be. And I uh, didn't have to worry about that too much with Mel. You wanna sing and you wanna sing Like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean You wanna sing and you wanna sing Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me Seen It All with Jeff and John Hey everybody, welcome to Seen It All with Jeff and John The podcast where we break down our favorite scenes from our favorite movies I am Jeff Glover And I'm John Zabriskie And in this episode, are you saying... That you put an abnormal brain in a seven-foot-tall, 54-inch-wide gorilla? Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) That's right. We are talking about a scene from the 1974 Mel Brooks black-and-white comedy spoof parody classic, Young Frankenstein. It's coming! From the deep, dark recesses of the mind of Mel Brooks. I love him. Young Frankenstein. Like, you hear me? Give my creation life. Sky means business. Starring Gene Wilder as Dr. Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. Peter Boyle as the monster. <laughs> Marty Feldman as Igor. My grandfather used to work for your grandfather. I'm sure we'll get along splendidly. Oh! (laughs) Horace Leachman as Frau Blucher and Madeline Kahn as Elizabeth. What do you want to do to me? I'm not afraid of you. Kill the monster! (laughs) See Mel Brooks' young Frankenstein. Yes, I think we could all use a good laugh. But don't see it alone. Don't miss Young Frankenstein, personally directed by Mel Blazing Saddles Brooks in black and white. No offense. It's pronounced Frankenstein. <laughs> That's Frankenstein. I was waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John, this was your pick. And I have to say, this was a pretty fun watch for me. I had not seen this movie in literally decades. What, tell us, why did you pick this movie? Oh, sure. Yeah, this is one that I, I think I man, it's been a while since we recorded. It's been a while. Um, it's been a while. Been a while. Getting back into the groove. It's okay. Get back Take a deep breath. Have some wine. You know, whatever you got to do. Uh, yeah, I already drank some some rum. <clears throat> Delicious. Was it mixed with raw milk? <laughs> yeah, not this time. It was only mixed with ice. <laughs> I'm missing the raw milk. A good point. Oh. <laughs> good old raw milk. Mm. But hey, like a smooth rum, this is a comedy that is that, there's no there's no link there. Let's delete that part about the smooth rum. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a movie I watched bits and pieces of. Um, I'm sure back in the 80s and 90s, and then 
I think I didn't fully see it, the whole thing, until I started my modest DVD collection back when DVDs like started to become a thing. Mm-hmm. And I had things like Star Wars and Indiana Jones. And Oh, yes, I remember what I mentioned at the end of the latest episode um, when I was introducing this movie and this scene was that like I was just in the last few years, just over the course of that time, giving away a lot of the DVDs I had collected over the years. Oh, yeah. And this is like one of the few DVDs I held on to with like the first two Spider-Man movies by Sam Raimi and mm. my Star Wars, my Indiana Jones. Um, there might be a couple others there that I'm not remembering, but this is one of them. Um, mm. Yeah. And a big part was just how much the movie stuck with me um, just as a pure spinoff or not pure spinoff, just a pure spoof of uh, movies I've, similarly known about but just also haven't you know still haven't seen those those frankenstein movies from the 30s um but also just universal monster movies yeah those universal monster movies like it's kind of like in the consciousness like this movie was until i saw it um but also because um one of the unique things about dvds of course is that you can have that commentary and um Uh, is definitely the best commentary i'd ever heard on a dvd and when you're you know when the dvd thing first started what 20 years ago i would say dvd um one of those big finds for people um you know people like us who love movies was the dvd having that alternate track where you could listen to the commentary and i remember specifically watching this um at first just the plain movie and then watching it with the commentary um not something i would normally do like you know two movies in one sitting of the same movie two watchings i mean of the same movie but with the commentary by mel bricks and he was just like it was like watching it with like a hilarious person with you on the couch. Like not someone who yeah. was just like, not someone who was just saying, well, we did this and we did that, but he's making jokes. He's laughing at the same things that like we as viewers would be laughing at. I remember that being such a unique experience. Uh, that's why I held on to the, to the DVD. Sadly though, I didn't watch or I didn't watch it with the commentary this time around. Um, but there are a, a lot of good bits. I remember like I, that would pop in my head as I was watching it this time. One of which was from a different scene than what we'll talk about today. Um, specifically when Frederick Frankenstein and, uh, Inga and Igor are trying to follow the violin music at first behind the bookshelf mm. and like, they say, oh, here's this violin. And Igor puts his hand on the violin. He goes, it's still warm. It's still warm. Hmm. <laughs> Mel Brooks like on the commentary part. says well, he's like laughing to himself on the commentary Mel Brooks saying like why would it still be warm it was just always <laughs> right. stuck out to me as like just watching it with a friend uh, on the couch so that's a big reason that um, I had that DVD and, and, and a big reason why it really stuck with me uh, this movie awesome yeah uh, you bring up like I think the the thing about this movie is like, there are so many little moments that like, just make you snort, you know, like that's one of them. Like when he puts his hand on the violin, he's like, it's still warm. I was like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) it's so random and kind of out there and like, doesn't really make any sense, but it's, this movie is just, uh, this movie is just silly. Yeah. It is a silly, silly movie. Um, I don't have a, a deep history with this film. I, I did see it when I was younger. I remember walking into our 
living room or whatever uh, when I was young and my mom had turned this on. It was probably on cable or something. Right. And it was just at the beginning. It was right at the beginning. And I, I remember seeing the part where he was like, it's pronounced Igor. <laughs> and, you know, 10-year-old me or whatever thought that was hilarious. And I, I think I sat and watched it with her for a while. But while I was watching this, I think I realized that I had never actually seen it from front to back before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a, it was fun to see the whole thing in its entirety. Awesome. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. You know, I saw it then. And since then, I, I probably saw little bits and pieces of it. But I don't think I've seen any of it for, gosh, it's got to be at least 20 years. Wow. Uh, so this was fun to revisit. And I have a soft spot for Mel Brooks. And I'm sure we'll talk about him more later. But this is right in a pretty amazing run of films he made that were all kind of in the same style. And uh, yeah, this movie is just oozing with Mel Brooks silliness. And uh, it was, it was a delight if I can say that. Yeah. It was just really fun. Um, you were talking about like <laughs> snorting uh, yeah. <laughs> with laughter for a few of the lines. I had to look up the one that like I had to watch a few times in this last <laughs> It wasn't even from this scene. There's just like so many good little bits. Um, but Igor, they're all sitting around the table. Uh, Inga says, like, you haven't touched your food. And like, you know, Frederick slams his hands on the food. He's like, there, I touched it. You happy? There, I touched it. But look, you haven't even touched your food. There. Now I've touched it. Happy? But then, then Igor says, and I found the line because it always makes you laugh. Like, like I don't know what the context is, and it's like the best non sequitur. He says, "You know, I'll never forget my old dad when these things would happen to him. The things he'd say to me." And then Gene Wilder, Frankenstein says, "What did he say?" And Igor says, "What the hell are you doing in the bathroom day and night? Why, why don't you get out of there and give someone give someone else a chance? Like, what does that even mean? How does that relate?" You know, I'll never forget my old dad when these things would happen to him, the things he'd say to me. What did he say? What the hell are you doing in the bathroom day and night? Why don't you get out of there and give someone else a chance? It just paints this non-secular of a picture of young Igor in the bathroom and his dad banging on the door. Like, where, where does that come from? Oh, my God. I love it. I I made a list of all my favorite little gags and lines in this movie. I don't know if I want to go through the whole list right sure. now. They'll probably come up as we talk. But uh, there is – when I started actually thinking about the movie and, and writing down – all the different funny gags and lines and stuff there. It's just a joke factory. This movie. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really good. I (laughs) just, I'll just say one, like when the little girl is on the seesaw and then (laughs) Frankenstein sits on it and she flies through the window. (laughs) Sit down. <laughs> oh my god, that cracked me up. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. It was really Yeah. Funny. I there there's there's a specific moment too where um Igor is like trying to bite the the fox uh yes, thing yeah. around uh Madeline Kahn's neck and Gene Wilder, I think that was the cleanest take, but still Gene Wilder is laughing when he's like, stop it, stop it, Igor. <laughs> like he can't keep it together. They they caught that on film. I just 
I, I, yeah, that's part of the charm of this movie is just like how much how much they'd probably be breaking character like as they're making this movie and and right, looking at the outtakes right. it seems like gene wilder is probably the worst of them igor would you give me a hand with the bags certainly you take the blonde and i'll take the one in the tithon <laughs> stop that i'm talking about the luggage yes master yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, he was. He helped write this movie, right? With, yes, uh, he has. Brooks. He has a writing credit on it. This is uh, like pure Mel Brooks. Yeah, right? like it's just it, like I said earlier. So it's sort of like dripping with his DNA, and mm-hmm. um, it's it's obviously it's a spoof of a particular genre of movie from a particular time period. You know, this is a send up of the old Universal monster movies, and I, and I I have to say like. I, I am a lover of horror movies, but those old universal monster movies is, is a blind spot in my viewing. Like I don't really know. I know of those movies and mm-hmm. I know their significance, but I haven't really seen a whole lot of them. So it just it, all to all the viewers out there, if, if you're a uh, viewers to all the listeners <laughs> out there, if you're a, uh, if, if along the way we don't uh, catch some references or whatever, like, I, I'm definitely just sort of viewing this as sort of a casual viewer with a casual understanding that this type of movie existed, you know, in the thirties and forties. But even with that aside, like this is still very, very enjoyable um, because it's, it's broad in its parody. Like the whole thing is sort of funny in its spoofiness of, of that type of movie. Mm-hmm. Um and you know this this was like Mel Brooks's bread and butter. He went on to do a bunch of movies like this in the seventies and into the eighties. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Did you have I, a uh, favorite Mel Brooks? Um, for me, it's probably Spaceballs. What about you guys? We ain't found shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but uh, I kind of looked back at his filmography to get a sense of sort of where he was. So this was nineteen seventy four. Yes. Which was earlier than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same year he did Blazing Saddles, which is pretty wild. Yeah, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein in the same year. I mean, yeah. Yeah, two just like huge, huge movies, but also huge takes on their respective genres where Blazing Saddles is obviously the Western. Um, right. Yeah, I think, I think, I think something I really like about this movie is the fact, like you mentioned early on, that it is black and white, so you can't help but think of the older movies when you watch this. Um, and yeah, it's some not scenes, that vibe. Are, it just feels yes. like those older movies. Yeah. Yep, yep, yeah, it absolutely feels like the older movies. They do a lot of production work, I think, in making mm-hmm. this movie ape. Um, those earlier 1930s movies were like, I think, a really good example is like the sound and the music will just kind of drop out sometimes. For right. like these panning shots, and that's not something you would have like in a Blazing Saddles. It's like there's always going to be some kind of ambient noise in movies in the seventies, like whether that's music or uh, soundtrack or just sound effects themselves. But there's like you know you can just audible cut out, and I think that's in itself the sound design. I think is is even an homage to those uh, those movies, like the yeah. yeah. Well, this was nominated for an Academy Award for sound. So- oh, really? It was, yeah. So, huh. like, the people that know these things realize that, like, the decisions they were making on the sound design were deliberate, you know, to to match the old style. Yeah. Um, 
So that's, yeah, that's a good observation. See, you didn't even know. And uh, you nailed it. <laughs> and it was nominated, it looks like, for adapted screenplay. Yeah, yeah, based on the original Frankenstein story. Wow, that is, that's, that's wild versus like original screenplay because like you that could argue be. that it's like not as, right. yeah, <laughs> they, they do enough with the story to make it different from Yeah, I, I guess it's because it has you know, Frankenstein in the title, like it has to credit the original story to use that title perhaps, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's, I think that's something we've talked about too, uh, either here. Yeah. Probably here, not predator minute, but, um, when something is making fun of, or it's a take on or a satire of something, but it's also like, it's also the thing as well. It's not just not the thing by John Carpenter, of course, but Mike! um, <laughs> the thing, but not so. Not only is this like a good satire of those horror classics from the Universal movie line in the 1930s, but it's also itself like a really solid tale of someone reanimating dead tissue and having Dude, to deal with those repercussions. I had the exact same thought last night go. when I was watching this. I was like, "This is like go with me here. This reminds me of Tenacious D." Yes. Like Tenacious D is sort of a parody of a rock band and their songs are funny and sometimes silly. But at the same time, Tenacious D is like a kick-ass rock band. Yeah. And this feels like that as well. Like this is a a parody or a spoof of films from this era. It's also just a really good version of those kind of films. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and it all works really well to be its own thing while at the same time paying homage to the thing that was, you know? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, yeah, one of my top five, maybe top six now with Big Trouble. Uh, But Mm. one of my top five is Hot Fuzz. And that's absolutely that. It's actually two of them, you know, genre shifted together with the murder mystery slasher in the beginning and and then followed up by the action third act. (laughs) Right. But it does those things so well while also making fun of them. Um, maybe maybe that's why this movie kind of stuck around too, is because I like it when um, that adaptation is is a great take on the thing, but it's also taking itself seriously enough not to just right, right. totally run over what it's actually trying to do as as its own story. So, okay, so 1974, Mel Brooks <laughs> does Blazing Saddles and yeah. Young Frankenstein. Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. Frankenstein. So he's, he spoofs, you know, the American Western mm-hmm. with Blazing Saddles. He spoofs the Universal Monster movies with Young Frankenstein. He makes a silent movie in 1976, spoofing silent movies. <laughs> um, he then makes High Anxiety in 1977, which is a spoof of like Hitchcock movies. Right. And then later on, he goes through a period in the 80s where he does some different things that are less spoofy and more just kind of like broad comedies, but he kind of comes back to his uh, parody roots and then does Spaceballs in 1987. Mm-hmm. And uh, then Robin Hood Men in Tights in 1993. Oh yeah. You talk about spoof movies. That, that is taking <laughs> one specific movie. Well, right. it, 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 there's a, a like collection of movies, but I feel like uh, in large part is really taking on um that recent, what is it, 1991, I believe, is a Kevin Costner, yeah, Prince, Prince of Thieves. Prince of Thieves, yeah, exactly. Yeah, taking yeah. on that. I mean, Spaceballs is pretty specific, you know, spoof of Star Wars. But it's kind of, I guess it's kind of a riff on sci-fi in general mm-hmm. at times. But you're right, Robin Hood Men in Tights is like a direct spoof. <laughs> yeah, but at, at the same time, um, he's taken on uh, the Errol Flynn look. 
with mm-hmm. the character, um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, yeah, just really writing That's that cool. Robin Hood craze that we were going through in the early nineties. I guess that uh, when I was doing a little research for this, I learned that Mel Brooks did a, you know, so he was a writer for Get Smart. Oh, right? I did not know that. I lo- yeah, I love Get Smart on yeah, yeah, Nick so at again, Night or like, whatever. A spoof on like detective shows or whatever. Mm-hmm. He also wrote a spoof of like the Errol Flynn Robin Hood movies for TV hmm. that only lasted for a season and then it got canceled. And then, uh, you know, decades later, he wrote Robin Hood Men in Tights. And I, apparently he borrowed a whole bunch of ideas and gags from that TV series and then incorporated them into Robin Hood Men in Tights. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah, that was a little tidbit I learned. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I love and sorry to go on a men in tights tangent, but like oh, I love that movie. My it's my okay. my very favorite moment that's like I just I even laugh when I think about it is like when they're doing the whole training montage. I might have even said this before. They're doing the whole training <laughs> montage with all the all the all the merry men. And at one point they're about to charge on like the group of dummies just as practice. <laughs> and they're like, ready? And then, then they give a wait for it. On the count of jump. Wait for it. Like, what would be the point of waiting for it? Right. And it's like a bunch of a bunch of inanimate straw men that you're about to charge. And just that little, that little, yeah. This, yeah. Mel, Mel Bricks will sometimes bring that little subtle tea, uh, to these works as, as well as like the broad, clearly parodying uh, moments, but he'll, he'll sure. add in those little kind of like the bathroom thing. Like what's he doing in the bathroom night and day? <laughs> it's like, there's no, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't go anywhere. And Gene Wilder <laughs> just looks like perplexed after Igor says it, but yeah, I, I, it's, it'd be an okay. understatement to say like Mel Brooks is just this master comedian um, over the years. Can I tell you my favorite part of uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights? We're doing it. <laughs> okay, we're doing it. So uh, I can't remember what's going on, but like Robin Hood and his band of merry men or whatever are marching through the woods and then they come upon a stream. <laughs> But they act like it's a raging river. Right. It's a little tiny stream. <laughs> a little tiny stream. And they're like, how are we going to cross? And then this is one of Dave Chappelle's like earliest movie roles. Yes, yes. Yeah. And and Chappelle walks up to the stream and he's like the straight man. He's the only one that sees it for being a stream and everyone is looking at it like it's a raging river. And he's like, I don't understand what the problem is. First, you're on one side. He jumps over it, then you're on the other, and he jumps right back. <laughs> I don't know, his line delivery there and the way he's playing like the guy, the only guy that realizes what's going on always cracked me up. Look, this ain't exactly the Mississippi. I'm on one side, I'm on the other side. I'm on the east bank, I'm on the west bank. <laughs> it is not that critical. <laughs> oh man, oh, so good. So is, good. Is he a chew or is he a sneeze? Oh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I can open it up real fast. Yeah, tell me. I can't remember. Dave Chappelle that is a chew. A chew. <laughs> <laughs> And I think I think his dad is a sneeze, played by Isaac Hayes. Oh my God, I forgot that was their name. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. Oh man, I might you know have to rewatch that. I have not watched that since probably the early two thousands. I have to forever, rewatch that forever. You know, that's that's the beauty of uh, Mel Brooks comedy is he will like weave 
together very smart parody, very, you know, and very like subtle jokes and like little sight gags. And then all of a sudden there will just be like a crude sex joke. Right, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then we see that in this movie too. Like there's a bunch of like really funny, just kind of like lewd, you know, sex jokes just sort of thrown in that. Oh, oh yeah. Again, make me snort, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. And I, I feel like this movie really leans into like kind of the sex comedy part in the third act. That's where oh, totally. yeah. everybody's all of a sudden just randomly hooking up. It's like, all right, it's time for Inga and yeah, Frankenstein to to hit the table and it's time for oh my the God, monster to basically assault Catherine. <laughs> yeah. But then she starts singing and she likes it, so it's okay. So it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> She starts singing, apparently. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of sexy things. Um, mm. Elizabeth. Terry sorry, Gar- not Catherine. Sorry, Elizabeth. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Terry Gar, who plays Ingrid, yeah. is like low-key MVP of this movie. Oh, sure. She is so funny in this movie, the way she <laughs> plays her role so straight. like, And she has some really funny lines. And... <laughs> And uh, man, and she's also just kind of a smoke show. Like I was watching this movie, like, do I have a crush on 1974 Terry Gar? I do, I, I do. Do I need to watch this movie with the algebra book over my lap? <laughs> just put a book on it. Just put a book on it. Yeah, I, I like where she's her, great though. She is fantastic in this movie. She is great. Early on, um, Frankenstein. I'll just say Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder is having a, yeah. a nightmare, and he's talking to sleep, and then. Inga runs to him and she says, she says, Frederick, you're having a noxmare. <laughs> Dr. Frankenstein, wake up. What is it? You're having a noxmare. <laughs> <laughs> and that's another thing I remember Mel, Mel Brooks just saying, like, oh, they made up on the spot. Like, what, what, what would she be calling nightmare with, like, with this fake German accent? Oh, we'll call it a noxmare. <laughs> and her, her whole bit about rolling in the hay. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Would you like to have a roll in the hay? It's fun. Roll, roll, roll in the hay. And then when they get to the castle and she's like holding him tight and he's like, <laughs> what knockers? What knockers? Oh, thank you, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and then they lift up the giant door knockers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like classic Mel Brooks, like, you know, but, but subtle enough to be funny, you know? Yeah. Oh Mm. man. Yeah. So a lot of really great, this movie is just like a, you're right. Like it's like a collection of little like funny sketches, I think. And, and so you've chosen a little funny sketch for our scene today. I have. Yeah. Um, so what, uh, uh, enlighten me. So what was it about this particular scene that, uh, drew you in? Why did you choose this today? That's a good question. I think because when I was first watching this movie in full, like I said, when I was really bringing the DVD hammer down, mm-hmm. um, that this one really surprised me out of everything in the movie. Like the movie has all these fun little bits and moments and characters, uh, yeah, talk about that in a little bit but i remember this just really surprising me that all of a sudden this <laughs> very well-known actor this uh, you know at the time 1970s everybody knows who um hang on just a second you're good 
everybody at the time knows who Gene Hackman is. And all of a sudden, he just pops into this movie, virtually unrecognizable, I would say, when you first see him. But then as soon as you hear him, you know exactly who this is. You know this is Gene Hackman. You know, if you're watching this in the 80s, you know this is Lex Luthor. Um, If you're... (laughs) Right. Watching that weird <laughs> knockoff scene from North by Northwest where they're being chased by a combine harvester, you know he's from Prime Cut. Uh, yes. <laughs> you know he's from the very same movie this year, uh, The Conversation. Like a big critical success, right? Huge critical success. Frank Francis Ford Coppola's other huge movie along with um, uh, The Godfather Part Two this year. Big one. Um, and then all of a sudden, yeah, he just shows up and he, to me, he steals like this middle part of the movie where we're really, really, really coming to see what the monster slash, well, I'll just say the creature, what the creature is going to be doing like out in the wild, out of the control and out of the purview of um, Dr. Frankenstein and um, the other people in the castle. And so, yeah. yeah. So, so to me, it really stands out as just this moment of interacting out in the wild and, and how is he going to handle people? But at the same time, this is just like an out of nowhere, awesome performance by a legendary actor who's just dropping into the movie for, oh, I don't know, four minutes. It's so funny. I mean, you told me ahead of time that Gene Hackman was in the scene we were going to watch. Mm-hmm. But as I'm watching the movie, I kind of forgot that you had told me that. And uh, so, I, you know, I've got the timestamp. And so I'm kind of waiting for the scene to come up. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it does. And all of a sudden, like, like you said, I saw him and it didn't quite click. And then I heard his voice and I was like, wait, is that fucking Gene Hackman? <laughs> and then all of a sudden I remembered. I was like, oh, yeah, John said he was in this scene. And you're right. Like he's there. He's hilarious for like four minutes. And then we never see him again. Yeah. He's just <laughs> so gone. I wonder what the history is there. Like, do you know, was Gene Hackman friends with Mel Brooks? Like, how did this come to be? Uh, the background that popped up is that um, a lot like um, George Kennedy and Naked Gun, which we talked about, mm. um, he has just been used to playing these heavy, dramatic roles, uh, sometimes as the villain, like I said, um, Prime yeah. Cut, I talked about that just ever so briefly, and I this do is now believe... the Prime Cut cast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> prime, the only podcast is talking Prime Cut. <laughs> um, but I believe, here, let me just double check. Yeah, Prime Cut comes out in 1972, and he's playing these these heavy, dramatic roles, sometimes as the villain, sometimes yeah. as like the cop in French Connection, for example, in 1971, that he really yeah. wants to spread his wings a little bit and try out different styles. Um and so that leads him to contacting Mel Brooks about this role or about this movie that he knew was in production uh, and looking for a role. And so he landed it, uh, just a small cameo. I do believe that at first, um, per, or at, at first release, I believe he is uncredited. Oh, wow. But then later releases um, credited him. Um, you can kind of see why. You can kind of see like, oh, someone huge stepping into this role for just a bit part. Still has a speaking role, still has action in the movie, but like is maybe in and out pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and maybe they wanted to, you know, kind of keep it a surprise, you know, like a cameo. Yes. So keep his name off the list and just let people enjoy his his appearance, you know. Yep. yep yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, I, it worked on me. I was I was pleasantly surprised, like I said, because I had <laughs> forgot you said he was in the movie. Right. And um, yeah, well. Uh, it is fun. Should we uh, jump into the scene? Oh, did you want to talk about what's at stake? What's at stake? Oh, did we even talk about the scene? 
No, I get. I, <laughs> I don't think not. we did. You just said, why'd you choose it? I'm realizing we never <laughs> talked right. about it. Uh, I'll just do a quick recap. Is that Frederick Sorry, Frankenstein. everybody. Uh, sorry, everybody. Is that Frederick Frankenstein's new creation? We'll just call him the creature. Uh, if you want to call him the monster, it doesn't matter. Um, sure. there's, there's debate online of the, the original Frankenstein movies if you're supposed to call the creature the creature or the monster, but whatever. Mm. I think one's more dehumanizing, obviously, than the other. Um, but the, the creature slash monster visits a lonely blind man for some soup and cigars. Cigars. <laughs> and attempted wine. <laughs> yeah, and attempted wine. But yeah, every, everything... Yeah, everything we we see them interact with, we we see it has a hilarious outcome. Mm. But you're asking, what's at stake? Yeah, so what's at stake? What's at stake? And I I wrote it out. I said the newly reborn creature is visiting the people who live near to the castle. I guess that's bad grammar. Who live near the castle? And I said, what could go wrong? <laughs> we what could go wrong? We already saw with the girl, like you said, he just launches her <laughs> sitting on the seesaw. But moments that's before funny. that, it's, it has that hilarious moment where they throw the flower into the well. And she yes. goes, well, that's all done. Like, what else can we throw in? And he just looks at the camera. A lot of mugging uh-huh. uh, from the monster <laughs> in this in this movie. Not so much with other people, but it's really fun having the monster basically, like, talk to us, the audience, through through eye and head gestures. Yes. So this is when the monster is out of the castle and he's ex- he's exploring his surroundings mm-hmm. and having some run-ins with some local town folk. Right. And uh, and yeah, so he meets that little girl and slingshots her or whatever back into her bedroom. <laughs> right. Um, and so he meets up with an old blind man in a cabin. So should we uh, get into the scene? Is it time? Let's do it. All right, this is part one of our scene. This is going to be from one hour, six minutes, and 36 seconds, all the way to one hour, nine minutes, and 46 seconds. We push into a lonely cabin, and then the image fades into the cabin's interior. We see a soup kettle cooking over a fire, and the camera pans to a man praying over a rosary. He prays aloud for a visitor, and then we whip pan to the cabin's front door as the creature slash monster bursts into the room, yelling loudly, Nice. (laughs) The man thanks the Lord for his visitor. He then turns off the violin record that he's been listening to. That shit's funny. He greets the creature and introduces himself as Harold. We learn he lives here alone and that he is blind, and the blind man learns that the creature cannot speak, an incredibly big mute. Harold invites the creature in for some soup, and Harold begins to try to serve some soup to the creature. When Harold goes to serve the creature some soup, he inadvertently dumps the hot soup twice into the creature's lap. <laughs> Harold then pours wines, pours wines, pours wine into both of their mugs, and before the creature can take a good drink, Harold proposes a toast and proceeds to inadvertently smash the creature's mug during the toast. The creature looks to the sky, visibly annoyed. End of part one. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, initial thoughts, John. How do you like how this little vignette uh, opens? I mean, it opens. Uh, I don't know if you looked at the. I should have put the link here, but it's it's worth a look just if you wanted to compare the scenes. Um, mm-hmm. But it is like taking directly from Bride of Frankenstein. That's that's how you know like Mel Brooks is really appreciating. The yeah. genre he's taking on because he's such a fan that he's basically recreating, he, not basically, he's recreating the scene just with like 
the things going wrong um, from Bride of Frankenstein, namely where the creature is visiting a blind man who is similarly doing all these same things, who's offering soup, cigars, and wine, and who's been praying for companionship. Oh, so, wow. So he's really just like completely lifted the scene yes. from that movie and then tweaked all the thing, all the details <laughs> to make some jokes. That's funny. Right. Basically to make some blind jokes. It's like, right. <laughs> well, the guy's blind. He's going to be pouring soup yeah. into. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I love the heart of this scene. I think even yeah. though the blind man is totally messing up with uh, messing with the creature inadvertently so many times, like three times in a row, essentially, I, I, I think the scene has a lot of heart in that the got the, the guy Harold doesn't want to be alone. He wants companionship. And all of a sudden he's provided that companionship. It's like, what, what would you do normally? Well, you would try to do all these things to impress your guests. And I, I think that's, it's somewhat true to life where you have someone over and you just like instantly just want to treat them like best wine, the best meal, the best cigars. Cigars. Yeah. yeah. He's just so, so happy to have someone there. He doesn't care if it's a kind of giant scary weird dude that can't talk <laughs> yeah yeah he just wants a little companionship um i love that the music playing in the background feels like the score to the film and yes. then all of a sudden you realize it's the record that's playing <laughs> and he just takes the needle off that made me snort once again <laughs> I, I think it's it's another take on the blind man and Frankenstein's monster in Bride of Frankenstein, yeah. where I think the blind man is playing the violin in that old scene, if I remember correctly. And then he stops playing once the monster comes near, because what we learn in this movie and in that movie is that the monster is drawn to that string music. It's, it's, not, it's not like a big orchestral piece, but it's just like a right. one single violin being played. And I think in the movie, the original movie, it's Ave Maria, which you'll hear later on through this movie. But for some reason, they made the change and it's not that... Uh, song. It's like a slightly different song, but the monster's still drawn to it. But it is funny that it's diegetic music and it's not like yeah, the score it, music because it all kind of plays the same. It's a little, it's sort of an inside joke, like a movie making joke, you yes. know, more than anything else. And Mel Brooks does that. Like he's guilty of doing that in a lot of his movies where he just kind of like makes a joke that's really meant for the movie watching audience rather than spoofing the film you know the he's not really making a parody of the movie itself he's just kind of like joking about the movie making process you mm. know and what it means to be a, a viewer of of movies um <laughs> it's pretty funny because i it was unexpected i it like i said made me snort because i didn't expect him to do it and all of a sudden he removes the needle and then the music just stops <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it is good i don't know that you even see the record player now that i think about it no like they actually hide it i believe it's oh, on the yeah. counter right behind him yeah they, they basically hide it with a a pillar a uh, support beam in the mm -hmm. middle of the room it's so funny that they would do that that's a good point about that being like a little joke because if you see it in full view like you're knowing where the music's coming from but because right. he's hiding it it's yeah a little bit of a surprise when he he, he stops it He's just sitting all by himself, praying, listening to this kind of sad music. It's like, I feel kind of bad for him. I think, I think that's why also I'm drawn to this scene is because it's such like a simple setting. We've talked about it before. I love my kind of desert settings in the beginning of stories where it's just like 
not a whole lot going on. Like you can see for this guy, like not a whole lot's going on. And for some reason I'm drawn to that kind of storytelling where you're really bare bones looking at a character and, and what's going on with them. And, and clearly this guy's just hanging out by himself, longing companionship. I don't know why I'm drawn to such a scene. Maybe because uh, I'm sure I've been like anybody else who's like, wow, I really like need a friend or like a really, uh, you know, could, could use some companionship. Yeah. Well, it is a little kind of standalone scene. Like you could take mm-hmm. it out of the movie and, and nothing would be lost really story-wise, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a funny little kind of, you know, just a little interlude of his adventures outside the castle. And um, yeah, it is kind of a quiet moment. It's a, it's a chance to kind of take a breath and just sort of watch the creature, the monster interact with someone for a moment. Mm-hmm. And it is kind of perfect that it's a blind man because he just treats the monster slash creature like any other person. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, when he realizes that he's mute, it probably makes him like more endearing to him because he himself is blind. And so maybe he feels a little kinship to this person. What is your name? Mm. I didn't get that. Nope. I didn't realize you were mute. You see how heaven plans. Me, a poor blind man, and you, you, um, a mute. An incredibly big mute. Yeah, he even mentions how it's like this kind of ironic twist of fate that he's praying uh, for companionship and instantly someone bursts in the room who, be, who can become his companion, but at the same time they can't fully communicate. It reminds me a lot of... Uh, not a Mel Brooks movie, but the Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor movie, Hear No Evil, See No Evil. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was just about to say. Yeah, one of them is blind, one of them is deaf, so they can't, right. again, fully communicate. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just, yeah, it's it, it just making those movies, yeah, and this kind of scene, like, I'm also kind of put into that scene, like, what would I do if I'm blind and someone barges in, am I, am I going to be as nice to this creature, to this uh, intruder, this interloper as this blind man? But if you need companionship, you probably don't care. You, you, you need that companionship. You need someone to, to talk to and someone who listens. And in, in the original scene from the Bride of Frankenstein, which I guess I'm just going to bounce back and forth between that and this one. Sure. Yeah. Um, the blind man is actually successfully teaching the monster words like friend. And I don't know if we've said cigar, mm. but uh, things like that, friend and food, I believe. Um, at the same time, yeah, there's some similarities there too, but we'll, we'll talk about that with part two. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, th- I think this goes on. I, I was talking about um, earlier on mentioning possibly, maybe I was mentioning, I can't remember, uh, but this is a movie just full of characters where every scene you're seeing has someone giving some character with some backstory. Maybe the backstory is not explained, but everybody in this movie is essentially some kind of character with a story to tell or with a past that is in some way related to the creation of the monster. Uh, there's, there's not a whole lot of people in the movie just for, you know, filling the space, uh, sake. And, and we've, we've talked about quite a few of those movies, um, over the course yeah. of our podcast. Sure. Sure. Um, so, question for you. Yeah. If if you're if you're going to get soup from a blind man, <laughs> would, would you hold the bowl or would you have the blind man hold the bowl? <laughs> I'd probably just put the bowl down, <laughs> serve myself the soup. 
<laughs> it is one of my favorite scenes is the soup just being poured on the crotch of this like, poor creature. I was going to say, spoiler alert, I think I read in your notes, this is one of your favorite gags in the whole movie. Yeah. And he pours the soup into his lap and the, and the creature just goes, <laughs> Yeah, it happens twice, too. It doesn't happen twice. twice. I know. He knows he knows what to what to expect on the second time, and it just happens again. <laughs> you could just see it coming a mile away too. It's just it happens. I, I think partly what's funny too about it is it happens twice. Like right, right, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it doesn't go the rule of three quite. I think the rule of three is still in effect with just the amount of times the blind man kind of messes up something he's trying to share. Yeah, just bubbling around, yeah. Yeah, but good God, that has to be so painful, which is part of what makes it so funny. <laughs> this is another piece of, of Mel Brooks comedy in that there's always a little bit of slapstick yeah, yeah. to it, right? And this this isn't like full slapstick, but it's like, you know, medium slapstick. Like yeah. pour, pouring hot soup into someone's lap because you're blind is pretty slappy. <laughs> it's pretty slappy. And it, it's... it's it, I don't know, maybe you call it slightly intelligent slappy because it's like sure. if you're astute viewer and you know this guy's blind, then you know anything he's going to try to do is going to lead to trouble. It's not just someone like falling down, but it's like there's a little bit of a buildup. Like right. you want some you're hot like, soup oh. and you're thinking, oh, yeah, okay, this guy <laughs> would want some hot soup. Oh, wait, why is he Why is he trying to ladle the soup into the guy's bowl? This isn't going <laughs> to it's not going to go well. Well, that, just, that's, yeah. what, that's what makes the next part so funny is so he like pours the soup all over the place. He's like, and would you like some wine? And like, I'm fully expecting him to pour wine like on the table or into his lap or or something. But no, he pours the wine perfectly into their mugs. And as a viewer, you're just kind of like, oh, okay, well, they're going to have some wine. <laughs> right. You get the punchline where when they cheers, he just smashes the shit out of his mug. Toast to, yes, long friendship. <laughs> It's, it's such a great setup to it an is. unexpected joke. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, I, I was wondering, like, watching the scene over and over again, I was wondering if the creature fixes what he did wrong. The, well, not what he did, but what happened wrong the first time, which is, like, grabbing the blind man's hands and, like, making him pour the wine basically into the cup. But it seems like yeah, the, it seems like they just kind of worked that out non-verbally <laughs> between the, each other. But um, I'm I'm really liking... Gene Hackman's performance. I mean, how can he not? Yeah, it's, it's just really good. Yeah, it's really good. Like he's looking. You know, I, I have to imagine this is part of what you know a blind person is uh, going to be doing to try to take in the world. Is they're they're going to be drawn to sound, but they're also like don't really know you know about eye contact necessarily. They can't necessarily just say, well, this is how you make eye contact and hold eye contact. So there's like a little bit of eye contact, but there's also just that kind of like blankness of just looking around the room and right. um, trying to take in things audibly. Um, but I, yeah, I think, I think Gene Hackman is doing a really good job here because he's, he's basically just playing it straight. The whole scene is essentially a straight scene with just like goofy stuff happening. Nobody's right. playing a joke on each other. Nobody's doing something to be funny or to make a joke or to crack wise. It's just, just, just a few things are going slightly, slightly wrong um, between that's a couple, you know, straight played characters. That's exactly right. Like he's not like a bumbling idiot or anything. No, he's just making small mistakes <laughs> that, that he's just not used to having a guest in his home. And that's understandable. Um, but you know, just the way it plays out is, is super funny. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh man. Okay. Should we, t- should we talk about the second part of the scene and the, uh, the final gag that we get here? Let's do it. I'm trying to think if there's. Oh yeah. Any- Sorry. Is there anything else? Oh no. I was, I was just trying to think of like relatable questions. I can't really think of relatable questions unless you want to talk about hot soup poured on your lap or someone smashing <laughs> a wine I, mug, but I don't know if I have any experiences like that. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think I have anything either. All right. Well, that is a perfect segue into part two. Yeah. This is going to take us from uh, one hour and nine minutes and 46 seconds all the way to one hour, 11 minutes and 16 seconds. The creature shakes off the broken mug handle from his hand and Harold excitedly takes out two cigars. Cigar. Cigars. (laughs) Cigars. 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 He's so excited. He's so sweet. Love the way he says that. Cigars. Cigars. It's like you're saying surprise, but you're replacing the word. (laughs) Cigars. Cigars. Harold gives one to the creature and lights his own cigar with a candle while showing the creature that fire is good. Fire is our friend. <laughs> the creature seems convinced, but when Harold goes to light the creature's cigar, the candle starts burning the creature's thumb instead of the cigar. The creature yells, wow! <laughs> and then runs and crashes through the front door, this time to the outside of the cabin. Harold yells after the creature, wait, where are you going? I was going to make espresso. Where are you going? I was going to make espresso. <laughs> Of scene. I was gonna make espresso. <laughs> I was gonna make espresso. I was gonna make espresso. I uh, I love the slow realization that the creature has here, um, where he literally watches his thumb catch on fire for a good amount of time before realizing that it hurts, <laughs> and then he screams. <laughs> I love the lead up of him bringing the candle and like. The creature's literally just been burned. Like, and right. the candles all of a sudden in his face is like, nur, nur, nur. I don't know where the fear of fire comes from. And it's also present, of course, in the 1930s Universal Frankenstein movies. I was going to ask you about that if you knew the history of that, but because uh, I've never seen those movies. I don't know. But like, something that's well known, of course, is that the Frankenstein's monsters always fear fire, right? Mm. No. Fire is good. Fire is good. Yes. Fire. Fire is our friend. I wonder if it's, it, it could be just a fear of unknown. Like it's the kind of a scary, like hot thing. Or yeah. Is like, it like this, yeah. Yeah. No, sorry. Or I was going to say, or is it like, you know, the, the riotous crowd with pitchforks and torches, you know, like, is that, yeah, but comes at from? this point he hasn't experienced that unless like, ah, that's true. Yeah. Unless you're talking about his past life as, someone who was hanged earlier in the movie for right. doing something. But I don't know I, if I really want to stretch it, you could stretch it to uh, the Prometheus myth from like Greek mythology, where Prometheus was this guy who stole fire from the gods and showed it to people. And so something that people make allusions to, I think even made by the original author, Mary Shelley, mm. when she wrote Frankenstein uh, was that, she was likening Dr. Frankenstein to Prometheus and bringing dead tissue to life. So in a way he's like, he has the power of the gods and bring dead tissue to life. So he can be kind of like Prometheus, but we should fear fire because of that, or we should respect fire, have a healthy fear of it. But yeah, similarly in the, in the brighter Frankenstein movie, the monster is also at first scared of fire that the blind man's trying to show him, but 
but he's successful in doing all these things and feeding the monster and drinking with the monster. I was going to say, in the original Bride of Frankenstein, does he actually like successfully smoke a cigar? Oh, he lights up. He's like smoking oh. like a chimney. It's great. I think you'd like that scene because um, they're puffing on cigars and there's just smoke all around. The classic Frankenstein face. Uh, I, Boris I, love, I love a smoky. I love a smoky black and white scene. That's great. Oh, it is. It looks delightful. I don't smoke, but it, like makes smoking look. Mm-hmm. Very pleasant to be like just surrounded by it. And he's like, I think he even says like good or smoke. <laughs> it's like how watching Mad Men just wants wants me to make me start smoking cigarettes and drinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or watch Breaking Bad. You're like, I really got to do do some meth. <laughs> meth. Meth seems awesome. <laughs> meth seems not a bad choice at all. <laughs> Everyone in this show seems like they're doing great. <laughs> right. Everyone seems successful. And uh, yeah. yeah. Hmm. <laughs> um. Let's see. What else was I going to say here? Oh, oh, the 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 espresso line. The espresso <laughs> line is just hilarious. Like it's such a it, I, here again is classic Mel Brooks, like taking an old timey movie, uh, a parody of an old timey movie, and just throwing something in that's modern and out of place to comedic effect. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to make espresso. Like <laughs> obviously that would that's something that would never show up in. <laughs> A uh, 1930s Universal monster movie, <laughs> like, right? Uh, sitting around having espresso, like the idea of the blind man having an espresso machine in his shack, <laughs> right there is just hilarious. You know, I was going to make espresso. Right, it seems like really ultra modern for the story they're telling. <laughs> right. right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love the espresso line. Apparently, that was ad lib by. Oh, it was by Hackman. By Hackman, yeah, which is just yeah playing up to his legend. Uh, even more. <laughs> mm. I was going to make espresso. I was going to make espresso. Espresso. <laughs> I was going to make espresso. That's great. It's a great line. Yeah. Just imagine him with a espresso machine, this blind guy in the in the cabin. I was going to make espresso. <laughs> so sweet. Um, and that's a huge difference too in how uh, the creature leaves here. He busted the door, much like he busted in. This time, breaking the door. Um, but in Brighter Frankenstein. They become friends over like this little montage over a few minutes. Yeah. But all that is disrupted by a couple of hunters who show up and recognize the monster. And uh, they somehow end up accidentally um, burning down the old man's house. Oh, no. Yeah. And they, they basically like get the old man out of there. They, uh, I don't know. I didn't, I couldn't catch the exact wording. It's not something I saw the end of that scene for, um, when I was watching it, but yeah, it made it seem like it had a much more tragic ending where uh, the monster and the blind guy have to part ways against their will and the cottage is burning down. Yeah. Well, that's the other funny thing about how Mel Brooks could just kind of plays against type in this yeah. movie is like these, you know, Frankenstein in particular, it, it really is a tragedy, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a, it's a horror movie in a sense, but it's, it's really sort of a sad story about this creature who on some level has like, you know, has a, a, an understanding that he is a living creature and has emotions, uh, but can't really express them the way a normal human can. And, and, you know, my understanding of those movies is that the ending is, is kind of sad, right? Yeah, like yeah. the whole story is kind of sad. And of course in this movie, like <laughs> it ends up with him, you know, shagging the wife of Dr. Frankenstein and, uh, mm-hmm. 
And, you know, it's like the exact opposite of how one of these movies should end. So it's just Mel Brooks again playing against tropes and uh, just, you know, turning turning a story on its head a little bit that I appreciate. It's very funny. Yeah, I wish I had done a little bit more research into the older movies. I mean, because... Yeah, me too. I, I'm wishing now I had maybe watched uh, the original Frankenstein. They, and um, part of the IMDb trivia talks about Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder um, using four or five of those movies as reference, mm. like Bride of Frankenstein and uh, just because yeah, the original Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to imagine at some point they had to do some kind of brain swap or brain transfusion because the big difference here is that in the original movies, at least I know the monster is learning language from people over the course of time. In this movie, mm-hmm. he doesn't quite evolve until he's like ha- until he has that brain switch at the end. At the very end, yeah, yeah. So it's it, yeah, turning that tragedy into comedy, which is neat but also kind of like changing it slightly so um you're not seeing him change i think it would be playing a lot different if he was like changing over the course of the movie and then gene wilder swap brains with them it right. might seem like a little bit cheap but um i don't know I, I i like i like the take to make it uh to take a tragic tale for sure and, and make it more of a comedy where yeah everybody's just kind of banging everybody by the end <laughs> right. everybody has smart <laughs> brains and Big dongs. Well, even, <laughs> even, even like the idea of Dr. Frankenstein trying to exploit his creation and the way he chooses to do it is to put him in like a tap dance show. <laughs> 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 Where he's singing, putting on the Ritz, but he's like, <laughs> It's one of those things you like. You almost feel like you shouldn't be laughing at. Right. It's so so funny. (laughs) (laughs) It's a monster. It's a monster. It's a monster brought back from the dead. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, Another. Sorry. Now I'm just kind of like thinking about funny things for the movie that I like. But yeah. The uh, the German shoulder soldier with the uh, prosthetic arm. <laughs> ra- again, how random is this? It's yeah. so random, and he has to push his own arm around and stuff. And they have that whole scene with the darts. That's so funny. Like, <laughs> I just lo- I just <laughs> I just love how that. Then later, late in the movie, they use him as a battering ram. A riot is an ugly thing. Aren't I think that it is just about time that we had one. <laughs> <laughs> He's always yelling things in German. Right. It's it's like, you know, Mel Brooks is is kind of a god when it comes to like the slow joke, like taking this one aspect of a character and like ramping it up and ramping up and ramping up until finally he's being used as a battering ram to get into the castle, you know, like mm-hmm. It's pretty brilliant. It's funny. Yeah, I was wondering if that was also a reference. I couldn't find anything about that being a reference to older movies uh, and some kind of inspector coming in and trying to like suss out the details about what's going on at the lab. But I mean, I have to imagine that comes up again. Maybe this will be a diving board for me to check out those things that are a blind spot, kind of like you said, they're a blind spot for you. Um, if, if, if nothing else, just to have something kind of like I don't know, to educate myself on yeah, sure. movie history. If, if right. you know, these are still celebrated titles and celebrated adaptations, like, yeah, might as well check them out. And um, yeah, because I know there's still those lifelong fans of those movies who just 
love, love, love those. Like JB, of course, from F this movie, who's always writing I know. Uh, about these older style movies. Whenever I listen to a lot of movie podcasts and yes. whenever they do episodes on older movies from like the thirties and forties, I'm like so torn because on the one hand I'm like, Oh, that's, you know, that's good. Like movie history. Like I should know about these movies. And on the other hand, I'm like, I'm never going to watch this movie. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just not, I'm just yeah. going to, <laughs> I'll, I'll watch uh, total recall again. instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always new stuff. You got you got to keep track of. There's always new stuff. You got to keep up on. I know. TV yeah. shows. If there's a good TV show, you got yeah, yeah. to watch all of that. Um. All right. Well. Uh. Shorter scene. So slightly shorter discussion today. But did you have anything else to add on on part two here? Um. Jeez. I, I I guess with the whole hut, like it. To me, it has the appearance of like just a pure movie backlot kind of soundstage that they're filming on. And, I, and for some reason, for I just sure. love that kind of movie magic where they pull out these scenes where um, they're in total control of like the elements and the sound and the score and um, the set. Um, I just love that kind of movie magic, even though like if you'd walk up to the wall and hit it, it might kind of like right. shake because it's just like foam board or something like that. Or if you try to break through the door, it just sort of easily crumbles into oh, like yeah. pieces. <laughs> I love that. I love a good breakable scene. You I know, know some, know, some of my favorite video games have just like fully destructible environments. Like I'm just going <laughs> to dig a hole here. Like that's kind of how I feel with this, with this set, with this scene is that it's just, just, you know, handcrafted and it's, lovingly put together and um yeah. yeah at times it's really simple looking and i i really appreciate that and it's all on the actors to to pull that pull that off uh it doesn't hurt to have academy award winning gene hackman and uh ray romano's dad pulling this off but i think they mm. do uh, an awesome job yeah well i was about to say that i think this is the oldest movie we've covered but it's not oh, no <laughs> we did we did north by northwest it's gonna be hard to top that i think yeah uh, so this is the second oldest movie correct from 1974 1974 because alien is from 79 yeah. yeah yeah so do you want to should we talk um top 10 from 74 since this is a year we've never covered before Let's do it. Let's talk 74. So this top 10 is crazy to me. Like it's crazy looking at this top 10 through the lens of someone who lives in 2022. Right. Um, like, so spoiler alert, this movie that we're talking about right now, a black and white parody of 1930s Universal Monsters movie. This was the third highest grossing movie of 1974. Yeah, good for young Frankenstein. Good for uh, yeah, people appreciating. I, I think a huge part of this is that if you are growing up in, gosh, I, well, actually, I don't know. I'd have to go back because there is no home video to speak yeah. of in the seventies. So, but but people must have. I think part of it is maybe a fondness for movies that are like kind of reshown in theaters. Maybe they have like kind of these uh, monster. <laughs> I want to say monster jam, not monster jam, but they. <laughs> Monster Tram, that's hilarious. That's actually like the big company that runs all the monster truck events now. Uh, right. Anyway, <laughs> you know, they, they might have like these screenings still of like the old 30s movies. But if you grew up in the 30s and 40s, you would know of those movies. So this is sure, like, like hitting us basically like as they're, you know, 
entering our 40s now, like this would be like, oh, here's the big parody of something really taken seriously in the 80s. I think there's got to be something to be said for the fact that it is a more or less family-friendly movie Mm -hmm. that is building off of a general public's understanding of what this style of movie is. Like if you are, let's say just, you know, a kid in 1974, there's two ways for you to consume film. You can catch whatever is on the three channels that's on your TV. Right. Or you can go to the local movie theater and pay 25 cents for the matinee, you know? And like, so there are probably a ton of kids from that generation that saw these old, you know, universal monster movies because they were being shown at, you know, matinees at local theaters. Mm -hmm. And then this movie comes out. That's a parody. That's a send up of that. And it is, you know, it's um, appropriate enough for a kid to see. There are some jokes that probably go over your head if you're nine years old. And so mom and dad are fine with that. And so the fact that it beats out Godfather Part 2 this year (laughs) makes sense in that regard because uh, there's just a wider audience that is able to go see it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyhow, so top 10, should we run through? Let's do it. So top so number number one movie of 1974 was the Towering Inferno, which yeah. uh, I had never Disaster seen. Movie. Yeah, and these box office box office gross numbers are funny looking at them now because that was the number one movie of 74 and it grossed 50 million dollars. Yeah. Um, number so Mel Brooks had a hell of a year. Number two is Blazing Saddles. Uh, number three is Young Frankenstein, and then from there we have another. Um, Actually, this is this two of three like disaster movies. We have Earthquake at number four, <laughs> Trial of Billy Jack at five, The Godfather Part Two at six, Airport 1975 at seven, The Longest Yard, The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams, and Murder on the Orient Express rounds out number 10. Mm-hmm. A fascinating top 10. The fact that Godfather Part Two, like one of the most revered movies the movie that won the oscar i believe for best picture that year mm-hmm. uh comes in at number six pretty yeah wild. and also you could argue starts like the big sequel craze right that right. we're in now because up to that point i don't think sequels had been seen as this way they, to they, truly extend a story but right also, they, they couldn't actually be good right they right were just cash grabs yeah yeah whereas godfather part two is integral and continuing the whole Corleone saga. Right, right. Oh, so Earthquake must have been another, that has to be another disaster movie, right? That's what I'm thinking. So we got the Towering Inferno, Earthquake, and Airport. Isn't Airport a disaster movie as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So three in the same year. Amazing. (laughs) What what is going on in the 70s where people are so afraid of all these disasters? Is it just Cold War shakes that people have. I mean, by now, I don't think Cold War is nearly the deal it was in the 60s and the 50s. Good question. I wonder if it has something to do with like movie technology finally coming to a point where they can adequately like show a disaster like an earthquake or or something doesn't make it look super kitschy or like a B movie. Maybe special effects had gotten to the point where people were excited by the idea of seeing that. Right, that's a good point. Maybe the movies are such that where it feels like you're going to this experience event 
mm-hmm. and not just like listening or seeing a story, but you're also like in the middle of it. And it doesn't help that, or it doesn't hurt that these movies have just these all-star casts at the time, things like Earthquake and Towering Inferno. Uh, in fact, our boy George Kennedy, who I referenced who's in The Naked Gun as mm-hmm. uh, the captain, I'm losing my uh, names right now, but anyway, the, the captain in The Naked Gun movie sees so in the airport 1975 movie and earthquake uh, so, <laughs> so he's he's loving uh he's loving some disaster movies he's having a good year yeah yeah there's the longest yard of course at burt reynolds yep yeah um every dad every dad loves that movie oh murder on the orient express is another ip where they're taking um i believe this is an agatha christie right. famous novel and turning that into a film like you so, mentioned, Mel Brooks doing Blazing Saddles. So he has two right. of the top three movies. And again, right. people who are probably really into the Westerns are going to go see Blazing Saddles and just loving it. Just like cracking up at all the little references and they can poke their friends. And it's very crude in its jokes. And Absolutely. There's a whole yeah. fart scene. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, pretty racist at times. Yeah. They have that whole balls to the wall ending where it's just like the western fight spills into like the whole like whatever uh broadway routine oh my god that's right i have like people fighting in the fountains and yeah oh (laughs) it's so balls to the wall like like that that turns into a disaster movie by the end (laughs) it's crazy uh some other notables from 1974 Mm -hmm. uh a movie i was uh, surprised wasn't in the top 10 was chinatown because it was such a a critical uh, success, mm-hmm. uh, but you've got you know Dark Star, which is that's the first uh, Carpenter movie, right? Dark it is, Star? yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the Gold Voyage of Sinbad, mm-hmm. some black exploitation in there with Foxy Brown. That's a great movie. What else jumps out at me here? Oh, Conversation, Texas, Conversation. Yep. Uh, oh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, one of the mm-hmm. greatest horror movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Nineteen seventy-four, Toby Hooper. Yeah. Oh, the Taking of Pelham One Two Three. Great thriller, yeah. So there's some there's some gems there to go back and check out from the early seventies. There's uh, Black Christmas. Oh yeah, Black. Oh, I missed that Black Christmas. Yeah. There's Death Wish. Death. The original Death Wish. Yeah, was the like original. Four. Hey, buddy. I still prefer Death Wish three. <laughs> okay, I think I've seen bits and pieces of most of them. Which one has Jeff Goldblum as like a nameless hood? Ooh. That's a great question. I don't know my death wishes enough to be able to tell you. Hmm. Someone out there is yelling at us. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, gosh, the, oh, Man with the Golden Gun. Oh, James, James that, Bond movie. James Bond, yeah. yeah it's yeah. Uh, Christopher Lee is the bad guy. Hmm. Scaramanga. Scaramanga. Um, let's see. I want to say Land That Time Forgot and the Sinbad movies are both heavy on the stop motion effects. The Harryhausen. Okay, so the land the time forgot is the one where like the group of kids like goes back in time. I believe, and they, like, and they find dinosaurs. It might not be. Excuse me, I don't think that's necessarily back in time as much as it is like they just come across oh. a, a part in the earth. Maybe they go I, underwater and find dinosaurs. Okay, I I'm remembering that movie like randomly seeing that when I was like six years old in the eighties, like on TV or something. Mm-hmm. That would that would check out, yeah, hmm. yeah. Wow. There's an uncharted subcontinent they come across. Ooh, yeah, primitive man. 
dinosaurs. I think it's Charged. Harryhausen who did the uncharted subcontinent. Dinosaurs. Yeah, exactly. How does that happen? Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, there's a whole continent we never found. Oh, maybe it's not a Harryhausen. I know they definitely had the um, stop motion though with the, with the dinosaurs. Right. I remember that. I remember that's that's the piece of it I remember. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're getting down to our um, recurring segments that everyone enjoys very much. All right. What's at stake? <laughs> no, no. Je- Jeff, why did you pick this scene? That's what we're <laughs> all wanting to know. <laughs> I was I was going to ask you, um, you know, is it better than Predator? What? I know. It's a tough one. Is this a new segment? This is a brand new segment I just created right now. <laughs> Off the top of my head. Yeah. You've never done it before. <laughs> Are we talking about the 1987 action sci-fi classic Predator? Oh, we're going to break it down one minute at a time. Oh, wait. Sorry. Oh, wait. We did. We already did that. <laughs> it's kind of incredible that these movies are just 13 years apart. Dude, that is wild. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. That's wild. I mean, I mean, very different movies. Like, on one hand... You have like this out of control monster, uh, and the other one is young Frankenstein. Uh, good God! I like where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah like a little Craig Ferguson. Um, uh, I have to give it to Predator. Just naturally, that's just like the movie I'm more entertained by. But like, um, if if I need a laugh, like this is a movie like top of my one of the top movies on my list or even just like a top movie i'll find the scenes on youtube uh to entertain myself whereas predator there's not as many scenes i would just go snatch up from youtube predator for me is more like a a sit-down experience and something i honestly haven't done in a long time since we did predator minute there's 104 scenes (laughs) 104 (laughs) scenes you talk about predator um yeah but I'd, i'd have to give it uh to predator overall but Again, with a kind of like side tangent of if I'm looking for uh, a, a quick laugh, there's a, a lot of scenes here that, that deliver that laugh, like the soup to nuts and... Sure. <laughs> what are you doing in the bathroom day <laughs> and night? What the hell are you doing in the bathroom day and night? Why don't you get out of there? Give someone else a chance. Well, it's once again uh, evidence that this may have been an ill-advised segment <laughs> from the start. Because who the hell would ever compare these two movies? <laughs> but I'll go back to the old tried and true test of if you put the two DVDs or Blu-rays on a table in front of me and ask me to watch one right now, uh, I'm probably choosing Predator. So I'm going to have to also give it to Predator here. Yeah. yeah. Two movies which I still own the DVDs for. It's kind of a rare thing for, for That's me. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Physical, Physically on your shelf. Beautiful. Yeah, it was, it's physically somewhere in a box in the attic. But <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> if these two movies were sitting in a box in my attic and I could only grab one, <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah probably grab Predator. Uh, all right. Are you ready to recommend something, John? Or would you like me to recommend something? Uh, how about you recommend first because okay. I have some things bouncing around in my head. Yeah, I'm going to recommend uh, actually two TV shows that I have been watching with my wife. And I, two and TV I'm, shows? Two TV shows. And I'm grouping these together because they're very similar in their storylines. Okay. 
Um, so I'm watching one show that's currently on Hulu that's called The Dropout. The Dropout. The Dropout. And it is about, uh, it's a, a true story that is told in this sort of limited series style about uh, the woman who started the company called uh, Theranos. Mm. Um, this was kind of a, a big story back in the... Uh, 2010s and all the way into just like five or six years ago um, when the company completely crashed and basically she started this company that was built on the premise that they were going to design a, a, a machine that could do a blood test uh, give you a blood test on like a myriad of different things with like a tiny tiny droplet of blood and this could be done like in a Walgreens or something. Sure. Essentially providing like healthcare service that would normally be expensive and time consuming. And uh, so she built the company on this pre- on this premise and it uh, got a shitload of capital and investments from uh, Silicon Valley and, and other venture capitalists. And um, in the end, uh, we find out that she's defrauding everybody and that it's all built on a pile of shit. And so this uh, show is just sort of about the rise and fall of this woman and her company. Um, and the show's not done yet. It's hmm. uh, it's I'm right in the middle of it. it they're Hulu's doing the thing where they release it week by week. So I think you can watch up to episode five or six right now. Um, but it's really good. Um, the performances are great, and the story is pretty compelling. And it's one of those things where you're watching it kind of knowing what the outcome is. And so you're sort of excited to see like how it all crashes down, you know? Oh man. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty good show. And so I uh, also paired this with another um, show called we crashed, which is a very similar show about um, the company we work and a, a documentary about this company came out a couple of years ago and it's very much the same thing. It's about a guy who started a company where he would um, essentially create workspaces um, for people, for entrepreneurs that wanted to come uh, work in their workspaces. And right. he sort of like build these spaces as, I don't know, like... <sighs> <clears throat> a coffee shop on speed, right? Like, sure. There's a there's a bar, you know. Every space has a has an open bar that you can go to. Ping pong tables, pool tables, and like, sort of built the idea that work can also be play. And um, anyway, in the end, uh, the company same thing builds up a whole bunch of capital and investment, and then eventually crashes. And so it's the story of this guy and his wife that build this company together and ultimately fail um, in a catastrophic fashion. And so, um, yeah, both of these are really good shows and uh, I've been enjoying both of them. So I'm going to lump them together because they're kind of about the same thing. So check them out. Huh. Wow. Yeah. It's like almost like true crime kind of stuff, but yeah, it's like true shady businesses. Yeah. It's like both of them are about stories of people that had good intentions to build companies but ultimately kind of like built up a false narrative of what their company was going to do and had to cut corners in order to convince shareholders and investors that what they were doing was going to work 
and then raised a whole bunch of money and then ultimately uh, it did not work and they failed. <laughs> but it says on their website that they are still a provider of co-working spaces. Yeah, so WeWork still is a company that exists, although it does not exist um, in the same way it did. There was a point at which it was like valued like in the hundreds of billions of dollars. Jeez. And at this point, it's really just a real estate company that owns spaces that they rent to people who want to work there. So huh. they're still a functioning company, but I think the guy that started it and uh, came up with the idea ultimately is is pushed out of the company for his lies and frauds. Wow. Yeah. So that's the dropout is the one about Theranos and We Crashed is the one about the company WeWork. Ah, WeWork. Yeah. WeWork, yeah. Okay. So there we go. Double recommend for you, everybody. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you asked for it. You got it. Double got recommend. It. The doble. The double. The double. All right. Did you settle on something over there? I did. <laughs> <laughs> waiting just biding my time um yeah for some reason actually there's a good reason i'll explain in a second i was watching all the uh, harry potter movies over the last couple of weeks nice all right yeah and i think overall there's like there's like some quality movies in there i can't say like all the movies necessarily work or are as entertaining as each other there's definitely like the highs and some lows mm-hmm. um but I really enjoyed like the, the overall saga. I read the books many years ago, like when they were like starting, I think with book four, I was reading them as soon as they came out. Um, yeah, as soon as I could find someone to bum a copy off of basically. Right. Um, but then one of my just go-to podcasts, now playing podcasts, they're doing mm. a retrospective on the Harry Potter movies. Uh, something they said had been just requested from them time and time and time again. And so on one podcast called Books and Nachos, they're reviewing the books. And on their movie podcast, they're actually reviewing the movies oh, wow. uh, week to week. And so it's this huge undertaking for them. And I was going to say, those movies are long, man. Those are, yeah, some of them are quite long. I think the longest is like, well, I think I said no. I think the longest is like maybe two eighteen, and some of them actually clock in under two hours, which is nice. Okay. Um, but it, it makes for nice, like easy watching, and um, more times than not, like it makes me turn off the phone and turn off whatever I'm watching on the little TV to watch the movie on the big TV. Gotcha. Um, and there, I would say a couple standouts. Like the the one the one big standout was Alfonso Coron directed the third one, The Prisoner of Azkaban. Third one's good. Yeah. Yeah, and you know this is the director of Gravity and Gosh, what else did he do? He did, I, I don't know why it's not coming to my mind right now. He didn't do Children of Men though, right? That wasn't him. Um, gosh, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I can look it up so I don't have to. <laughs> totally take a guess. Let's see. Gravity, 2013 film. Alfonso Coron. What does he do? Yeah, he did do Children of Men. That's right. Wow, that's um, a good movie. Wow. And E2 Mama Tambien. Oh, wow. And, and Roma. And Harry Potter. Yeah, and they somehow get him for Harry Potter. <laughs> I think it's like the one uh, the one kind of wrinkle in those movies that where it's not just like someone you haven't really heard of because they go Chris Columbus I think for the first two movies yeah, and then they do Alfonso Cuaron's movie and his vision for The Prisoner of Azkaban and that for that for the remaining 
four, five, six, seven, seven, because they do two movies for the seventh book. Yeah. Um, it's basically like one or two people and like the same production team and the same style, the same house style basically it goes from there. Mm. Um, but I really like that third one. The third one is a really uh, standout movie. Um, they changed up like the geography of Hogwarts. So like instead of everything just kind of being on a flat ground, like there's a lot of extra geography they threw their way. So like mm. the students are having to go like up and down these giant Scottish hills in order to go up to the castle and then down to Hagrid. Uh, so that just kind of visually created a lot of interesting shots. There's a lot of clock imagery that knowing about like the device they use later on in the book, like you're just watching for. And that's really neat. Just some of the ways they work in things like the clock tower when they're standing in the clock tower. Um, the way they portray the time travel is really neat. Um, and then you just have your um, trademark long shots that like really stand out knowing who the director is. Like I just was instantly picking those up um, throughout the movie and they would do it time from time, time for that. They would do it uh, every once in a while. <laughs> I guess yeah. I'm trying to say um, where it really stands out when a scene is just kind of drawn out and out and out and out. And I, um, I just thought that was so well done. Them. Um, being able to pull Koran style into this kind of magical universe, uh, essentially like young adult literature kind of universe. Hmm. Yeah. All right. You heard it here first, folks. Harry Potter 3. <laughs> recommend. Yeah, there you go. There it is. Sussed out the recommend there. Uh, no, good recommend because Thanks. I've watched the first few Harry Potter movies with my kids because um, they were interested and uh, I think we watched the first four and uh, three did stand out to me it's a it's a good one you know if I find myself checking out of those movies every once in a while mm-hmm. they can be a little long at times but um, I, I, I recall that one being one that uh, I, I enjoyed actually sitting through with my children so yeah good one yeah. I, I will say the seventh seventh movies <laughs> the two movies that make up book seven were were like going back to those stories was was a lot of a letdown because mm. I feel like such of the charm of the Harry Potter story is him going to school and going through the classes and being annoyed by teachers and having to like navigate school life because that's what I know so much of. Um, yeah, yeah. The whole seventh book is just nothing of that. It's just them trying to find the little Horcruxes, the talisman pieces of uh, Voldemort so they never go to school mm. because right they're on this big quest uh, and so to me it lo- lose a lot of that charm when Harry Potter's not at school interesting all yeah. right well I haven't gotten that far yet so I'll let you know my opinions I'll probably be, I'll, I'll let you know at what point I fell asleep in during the middle of it <laughs> they're all it, they're all on HBO Max 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 <laughs> Uh, John, I think the time has come. Yeah, what is at stake? <laughs> Jeff, is, what's at stake? Is it better than Predator? <laughs> is steak better than is Harry steak Potter? better than Harry Potter? <laughs> cigars. I mean, cigars. Cigars. That'll Maybe that'll be like a later in life kind of this, endeavor. The segment know? everyone was waiting for. <laughs> steak or Harry Potter? <laughs> Uh, No, uh, we kid, we kid. I am going to reveal the next movie. Cigars. Oh, let's do it. I'm so excited. All right. Now, you are very good at um, 
taking us off the beaten path with your choices. Thank you, and, Jeff. Uh, yeah, and I appreciate that. And and I am very good at putting us back on the street. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, you have, you've got some indie titles under your belt. You got your that's UHF. True. That's true. That's true. My you super got your troopers. Rumble in the Bronx. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I'm I'm going back to a, a blockbuster. I, I, uh, Terminator 2. <laughs> we're going to do Predator. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> did that one. Um, okay. Do you want to wanna try to uh, guess? Of course I do. I love this kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. Um, I think you're going to get this one quick. I'll, I'll give you my cat in the background real quick. This is Tank Shanghai. Meow. <laughs> Meow. Oh, there you go. <laughs> You're just going to have to talk over him. I'll, yeah. I'll edit Tank out. That's fine. Oh, no, the Tank is welcome on this podcast. Yeah, well, this we now a have a third. friendly podcast. He's, he's, I don't know if I told you this last time we talked, but he's the dad of our female cat's five new kittens. That's only... right. You had a bunch of kittens. Did, oh. you get, did, you, did you find homes for them, or are they all just yeah, running around Yeah, they house? all have homes, sadly. Oh, you didn't keep any of them? We're going to keep one. Yeah. But like now you see the little personalities, and you hate to see them go, and you even hate more to see like the pairs that have bonded yeah. up. But you also don't want five kittens in your house. <laughs> yeah, a.k.a. seven total cats. I think, oh, God. I think yeah. one additional cat will be fine. Yeah, that you can survive that. That's yeah. good. Your furniture may not, but that's okay. No, no, no. Kiss your furniture goodbye. But <laughs> um, I'm going to give you the year of this movie. Got it. Okay, 1991. Terminator 2. Mm. <laughs> Close. <laughs> Close. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like if I give you any other hints, you're going to get this movie. Um Okay, give me like the fourth build star. Um, oh God, even that'll give it away. Oh, okay. why don't I give you the director? <laughs> Got it. Okay, uh, directed by Catherine Bigelow. Catherine Bigelow. Oh, is it Point Break? There you go. Hey. Hey, you could do it. <laughs> gonna do Point Break, buddy. On the coast of Southern California, you can only surf, party, and make love for so long before it's time to go to work. Rock and roll! 27 banks in three years. Everybody's Anything to catch the perfect wave. I'm not a crook. Patrick Swayze. Fear causes hesitation. And hesitation will cause your worst fears to come true. Keanu Reeves. You think I joined the FBI to learn to surf? Point break. Adios, amigo! Sweet. Uh, I have chosen the scene, the tent pole action scene right in the middle of the movie. That is uh, when Gary Busey and Keanu Reeves catch the um, ex-presidents exiting the bank and they proceed to have a car chase followed by a foot chase that ends with the classic 
Keanu Reeves shooting his gun up into the air. <laughs> Did you ever like shoot your gun fire. up in the air and go, ah? <laughs> yes, yes. I knew you. I was like, this is so hot fuzz. It's so hot fuzz. <laughs> <laughs> but I rewatched this scene today just to make sure that I wanted to choose it. And oh boy, do I. This is going to be fun to talk about. We're going to go back to a classic shoot them up, chase them around the city car chase followed by just a fantastic foot chase um, <laughs> complete with Patrick Swayze throwing a dog at Keanu Reeves. I cannot wait to talk about it with you. <laughs> oh man. And this is just like another packed movie where everybody is somebody. Yeah. And my wife is generally my wife. My wife wife. is generally uninterested in anything that we do together. Yeah. And uh, when I told her that I was going to choose Point Break, she was like, "I'll watch that movie." Does she maybe like Patrick Swayze, Keanu Reeves? Those kind of. I can't imagine why. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm much more attractive than that. I don't know. (laughs) No, our first Swayze, our first Keanu. Our first Keanu, our first Swayze. Wow. Our first Busey? Our first <laughs> Busey. That's what I was saying. It was like, you were like fourth build. I was like, that's Busey, I think. <laughs> You'll get it immediately. <laughs> oh, man. You you like the chase scenes. I'll say that. I I'll know. give that to you. I know. I'm going back to the well. I apologize, yeah. everybody. But this is such a good one. I couldn't pass it up. We got to yeah. do it. We gotta it do it. It's a good one. Yeah, It'll be fun. I, I can't say I've seen all the way through since the 90s. Oh, shit. Oh, a, I'm excited for you, buddy. This is a good one. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I can't I can't wait. I can't wait to see all the little tropes as they, like, kind of fall out, like, but with a sincere twist. It's always nice to see that. Yeah. And Bigelow, she's a fantastic director, too. Like, this yeah. is a solid movie. Like, you know, it's a relic of the early 90s action, but... I have a feeling it's gonna it's gonna hold up for us. I, I'm excited to watch it again because it's been a while since I've watched the whole thing front to back. So it's been a while. Okay. So um, let's watch uh, let's watch Point Break. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yes, Bodie and Johnny. Ah, Bodizava. Utah, give me two. I only know the names because of like they have the. IPAs around here. It's like I know, I know. There's a brewery. For those of you that are not in the Seattle area, there's a brewery that names uh, many of its beers after characters from Point Break. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) I love just the. Oh, I love the obscure references. You can just. I can go to the grocery store next to my house right now and buy Johnny Utah Pale Ale, and it makes me so happy. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'll have to crack one open. Yeah, uh, for that recording. Oh, that's such a good idea, dude. Let's let's do it. Let's get some Georgetown Point Break themed beers for our next episode. We have to. Well, we'll have to surprise each other with, with our picks. Like, okay. can't can't say like you do this one, you do that one because all right, to, right. I'll I'm going to warn you now. I might buy them all. <laughs> <laughs> I might I might just go through the whole cast of characters <laughs> throughout the whole episode. <laughs> By the fifth or sixth one, they all start kind of tasting the same. Uh, oh, dude, I'm excited! I'm totally gonna do that. That's oh, that's uh, oh, that's gonna be good. I've been doing the keto for the last few months, so it'll be nice to oh, no. break Fuck for. No. for <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the keto! <laughs> <You> no. <know. laughs> 
<laughs> no, I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, good for you. Well, well done. Yeah. Oh no, it's it's it's, <laughs> it's worth having like the little little things to celebrate with. Yeah. All sounds, right. Sounds fun. Is there anything better to celebrate than Point Break? Probably not. No, probably not. We're, we're gonna we're gonna do it. Um, <laughs> gosh, I can't I can't think of anything else other than I, I'm excited to to watch this movie. Like I said, in full for the first time, and I'm sure more than 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be fun. Yeah. All right. Well, you want to take us out? We did it. Sure. Yeah. We we did it. We talked to Young Frankenstein. 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 Um. So, Jeff, where can people find you? Oh, that's right. I'm on the Twitter. You can find me, Carl Hungus underscore 314, Jeff Glover. I'm on the Twitter. Come follow me there. My name is Carl been expert. Where can we find all things seen at all with Jeff and John? <sighs> Sorry, I had a young <laughs> It's 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 been a, a long few weeks with Gus waking up in the middle of the night for like Fair one enough. to three hours. Oh yeah. boy. So anyway, um, you can find Seen It All on Twitter. That is at S-C-E-N-E at all underscore because <laughs> you got to have that underscore. Um, you can also email the show Seen It All podcast at gmail.com. That's that's uh, S-C-E-N-E at all podcast at gmail.com. Sorry, I had to go back and click to see if there's anything new. Mm-hmm. Uh, un- unfortunately, there's uh, nothing new on the yeah on the email front. If there were, then I would uh, read it off. I think last we talked, I was reading off Joseph Parker's email, but it's been a while. So email the show. Mm-hmm. I'll respond to you there, and I'll read off your email live on the air here. Um, live on the air here? Did I say here? Sorry. Live on the air. <laughs> Sure. Live on the air. Uh, you can also join the Facebook group, Seen It All Podcast. Sorry. Seen It All with Jeff and John. Man, it's been a while, and I'm also kind of tired. It's been a while. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a while. <laughs> um, but for all things Seen It All with Jeff and John, I'm John Zabriski. And I am Jeff Glover. And until next time. Stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Stick around. <laughs> what are you doing in the bathroom? What the hell are you doing in the bathroom day and night? Why don't you get out of there? Give someone else a job. <laughs> <laughs> what knockers? What knockers? <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, doctor. <laughs> He's got a giant schwingelflocker. <laughs> I, I think that goes without saying. You would have an enormous Schwanstucker. That goes without saying. You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see, like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean. You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see, like when Bobby D says you're talking to me. You can go to the diner for a meal with Meg. You can yell at your class, stab yourself in the leg. You can upgrade your boat for when sharks attack. You can be like Arnold, tell him I'll be back. You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see, like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean. You wanna 
wanna seem, yeah, you wanna seem Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me Jeff and John talk scenes and quotes Jeff improvises while John takes notes From Mozambique to Montreal You can join in the chat on Scene It All You wanna seem, yeah, you wanna seem Like when the Xenomorph took out Harry Dean You wanna seem, yeah, you wanna seem Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me Seen it all with Jeff and John.